today's series, I keep going back and forth, but when I first started writing it, I entitled it Ego I Me, which is Greek. It means I am. This is going to be about the I am statements that Jesus made during his life. But because Ego I Me is I am, there's this little thing in grammar we do called conjugation. When somebody says, I am, and then they say, well, who's that guy? You say, he is. That's actually the reason why if you read, if you, were, if you speak Hebrew and you read in the Old Testament where it says, Moses says, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them that I am, I am that I am, or I exist because I exist. Or I exist because of myself. Either one of those is accurate. Well, I guess I am. And so when they asked Moses, who do you speak to? Moses said, he is, which is Yahweh. So it's a conjugation because God's name is a verb. It's not a noun. It's a verb. <laughs> and why would God's name be anything else, right? I mean, other, of all other religions, their God has a noun. For a name. Our God has a verb for a name because he is a living God. He's a God of action. And so when Jesus goes throughout his ministry, one thing he does repeatedly is he says, I am a lot. People will say there's seven times. He actually says 21 times that I am. And he says it in really interesting ways. He says it in ways that aren't always grammatically correct because he's making a point about who he is and what he is. See, we have four Gospels. And the reason why I believe we have four is because we need four. To fully explain and to fully grasp what Jesus is and who he was, we needed four. You can't just tell the story once. You need to keep telling it and tell it over and over again. Each one of the Gospels is written for a different reason and to a different audience. People will like to break them down just by audience, but they're actually written for a reason, like legitimate reasons. The first Gospel written was Mark, and he wrote his to Romans and Greeks. And he wrote it to them to explain why there was an air of secrecy about the Messiah. Why is it that we didn't hear a whole lot about him? Why is it that he wasn't a conquering hero? Why was he a servant and not a soldier? And so Mark wanted to get people to understand that the Messiah has two appearances. He comes first as the servant and the die for our sins, and then he comes back to conquer in the end. There's two appearances. And so Mark writes his gospel as like a novel, like a like an action novel. It's quick. It's to the point. There's not a lot of extra details. Whereas Luke or Matthew might sit there and explain like, oh, the color of this or the color of that. Mark doesn't care what the color was. He just says, this is what happened. Quick and to the point. Matthew was written to Jewish people to try and convert them. And so mainly to Jewish Greek speaking Jewish people. But it was written to Jewish people to try and convert them, to try to explain 
where they're saying, we're waiting for the Messiah. He's saying he's already been here. He's already been here and he fulfilled all of these things. So Matthew is really important and he tells about all the feasts. He tells about all the different reasons, all the different ways. He uses a lot of scripture from the Old Testament. Luke is explaining the Messiah to Greeks and Gentiles and people who've never heard it. I mean, they don't even have a starting point. They have no reference. Imagine you found some people. Today's day and age, it's hard to imagine people who haven't heard at least something of Christianity, but they are out there. I mean, you can go to Papua New Guinea and find people who never, they have no idea. And imagine trying to take someone who's a blank slate and trying to literally explain to them, okay, I'm going to tell you a story about a man who is 100% God. So what does Luke do? Luke gets real meticulous about details. He doesn't really worry about the Jewish part of things. He doesn't really worry about this, the feasts very much. He doesn't, but he gets real meticulous about stuff. And even that, when he gives the genealogy of Christ, he goes all the way back to Adam. He doesn't just go back to David, like, or Abraham, such as in Matthew, where Matthew is talking to Jewish people. So who are the Jewish people worried about? Abraham. So he goes back to Abraham. Greek-speaking people don't know who Abraham is. So he, Luke just goes right on past it and right back to God. He ends with, and Seth is the son of Adam, and Adam is the son of God. Just like, so Adam was the first Adam, Jesus is the second Adam, the new Adam, the new creation. So it's, each one is written for a different reason. John was written so much later than the other Gospels, so much past the other Gospels, that John was literally written, and there is some argument about this, but he, John is more written to Romans and Greeks who were already converted. A big deal of what John talks about is actually to people who are already saved. Because the purpose of it is that he was writing it to combat Gnosticism of the day. And also he was writing it so that he could help explain to people that why Jesus is God. Because in that time already, we're talking 90 AD, to 60 years after Christ's death, people already said, well, he was just a person, he wasn't God. And these were Christians, these were preachers, and these were people in the church who were already starting to say, ah, he was just a really good man, but he wasn't that important. And John is wanting to make sure he makes the point, no, this is the deity of God. This is that 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 God came down as a person and Jesus Christ is God. Make no mistake. So we're going to be in John the whole time throughout this series. And in John, Jesus makes 21 different I am statements. We're really only going to worry about seven of them because some of the statements that John makes that uh, Jesus makes in, in here are what are called absolute statements, absolute statements. So as in, and this is just as an example, we don't, we're not going to go there, but John 6.20, Jesus said unto them, it is I, do not be afraid. Now we say it is I, in the Greek and in the speak, he says, I am, don't be afraid. Of course, we're speaking English. English, it reads a little different. It doesn't really make a lot of sense if you write it otherwise. So 
But, but in John 6.20, when he's walking on the water and they're afraid, he says, don't be afraid, I am. The reason why he's using this is important. I am is important. We're going to go over this. John 8.24, he says, And I said unto you, therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. John, or that was John 28, 24. John 8, 28. And he said unto them, If ye have lifted up the Son of Man, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. So he's saying, I am, I am. John 18, 5. says, they answered him, because he says, who do you think I am? And they answered him, said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. This is when he was getting betrayed. And they said, who are you? Who do you say I am? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. The reason why he says this is because Jesus is referencing the divine name, Yahweh, Jehovah, in the Old Testament. There is a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. This was written back when the Greeks were in Babylon. And they wrote it because they didn't want to lose their heritage. So it was a Greek version because little by little people were no, no longer speaking Hebrew. So how are you going to explain to people about your history if the people don't actually speak the language anymore? Well, let's translate the book into a language that everyone speaks for the most part, Greek. So they transferred it over. And during Exodus 3, when the burning bush is going and Moses is talking to him, in the Septuagint, we read, remember how I told you, I or Esher, I or is what he said. I am because I am. I exist because I exist. It reads, Ego, Ami, O, On which is, I am who I am, or I exist because I want to. That is what he says. I exist because of myself. And Jesus took that and said, ego I am, over and over. And the people he was talking to knew he was saying he was God. That's why they wanted to kill him. Because he's, he, he was just right in their face about it. I am. I am. We're going to jump to John and the 8th chapter real fast. And I just, this is one of my favorite. This, one of the most clear, and this is the one that I love with, that Jesus does. The things Jesus does is Jesus, he has a sharp wit. We, we try to, people don't think about that. Like, think about Back at that time, jokes really weren't something that people did. Jokes were kind of rare. I mean, when oddly enough, the first joke was only 300 years old at the time that which Jesus was walking this planet. Think about there was a time people didn't tell jokes at all. They didn't use humor at all. Sarcasm was a new thing. And yet, you see Jesus, he is incredibly sarcastic at times. When Nathaniel, when they say, when, when Philip goes, Nathaniel, come see me. Come see. I saw found the Messiah. He goes, where'd you find him? He goes, Nazareth. He goes, has anything good ever come from Nazareth? And then when Jesus sees Nathaniel, what's he say? Well, here comes a man who has no deceit. <laughs> the sarcasm. The people barely even knew what that was. 
And Jesus was already an expert at it. He was, he was speaking it like it was in his second language. So Jesus is very straightforward with a lot of things. And one of them is here in the eighth chapter where they're accusing Jesus of, they want to stone him because they're accusing him of saying, you're, you're claiming to be God. And because it's just you claiming yourself, you're, you can't do that. That's blasphemy. You know, you need somebody else to say it. And Jesus is telling him, listen, you know, I, I am. And not only am I him, if you read your Old Testament, you'll see that I am him. And therefore, I have multiple witnesses. But at the very least, I have two because he says, I have God in heaven and I have myself who is from everlasting. So that's two witnesses right there. Because he says, even if I did talk only of myself, my, because they were saying, you're, you're speaking only of yourself. You need to have a second person to back you up. He's saying, even if nobody was willing to back me up, what I say is still true. Truth is true no matter who wants to back it up. If you're the only one saying it, it's still true. So Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter if anybody said it, it's still true because he only spoke the truth all the time. And so we read in the eighth chapter, starting, we'll start in the, uh, in the 43rd verse, it says, Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word? He's saying, can you not, are you, are you deaf? Basically, he's saying, why can't you understand what I'm saying? Are you deaf? <laughs> you are of your father, the devil. He answers his own question. He's saying, the reason why you don't understand is because you don't want to understand. You'll face people in life that way all over. They'll ask you, well, what about this? They're not asking. I, I tell you, do you want to know for real or are you just asking because you don't want to understand? Because if you're asking the question so that you cannot understand, I'm not going to waste my time. But he, that's what he's saying. He's, he, so he answers his own question. 44. You are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father, he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Satan's first sin in fall was getting Eve to eat that fruit. And what'd that do? He's a murderer. Because she would have lived forever had he not done that. So what is his crime? Murder. He killed the image of God. So what is his first murder? He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. He's saying, because your father is the devil, I speak the truth and you believe me not simply because I'm telling you the truth. You're deliberately not believing. 46. Which of you convinces me of sin? Or can, convicts me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's word. You therefore hear not because you are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that you are a Samaritan and have a devil? So he's saying, who do we say you are? We say you're a Samaritan, meaning you're a mutt, you're a, a dog, and you're, you have a devil, you're possessed. Jesus answered and said, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. 
There is one that seeks and judges. Verily, verily, I say unto you. That means truth, truth. Verily means truth. Truth, truth, I say unto you. If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Now remember, he's talking about the second death. There are two deaths that as a person we can experience. Death physically and the death spiritually at the end. Those who believe Christ will never see the second death, and therefore we won't ever. This life will die. It is what it is, but we live on forever. And so he says, if you will keep my saying, he shall never see death. 52. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, you say, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who makes you yourself? Say, so who makes thou thyself? Who makes you who you are? 54. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father, it is God in heaven that honors me, of whom ye say that he is your God. So he's saying, you say it. Yet he, yet ye, yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like you. And I know him and keep his saying. Again, the sharpness of that. He just said, if I said I didn't know God, then I'd be a liar like you are. 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Remember when Abraham was in, out in the tents and there were two angels of God that came, one of them was him. One of them was him. He saw, Abraham saw the second in the Trinity in bodily form, personally. And what did he do? He rejoiced. He said, Sarah, make some cakes and let's eat. Is there here? God is here with us now. Mm -hmm. He rejoiced to see my day. 57. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham came into existence, I existed. And guess what? They took up stones to stone him. That, they knew exactly what he was saying. And Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He walked out the temple. He said, in the Greek, Prin, Abraham, Genomahi, Ego, Ami. Before Abraham existed, I always existed. He is eternal forever. His origin from forever. No beginning, no end. This is an important thing because there could not be a sacrifice good enough to accomplish the perfecting of people if it was left up to a person. So God himself said the only way to get to heaven is to be perfect. And knowing nobody could do it, he did it himself. He did it himself. Just as Abraham was taking Isaac to the mountain, 
And Isaac said, but father, where is the sacrifice? You know what Abraham's response was? God will provide himself. Now, in English, that's an interesting saying, because it's, it means God will provide for himself, and God will provide himself. He'll do it. We don't have to worry about that part. He's got it. So we are going to jump to John 6, because we see that Jesus, when he was saying these I am statements, he, was not, he wasn't being liked. This was not some easy thing. And he wasn't being, he was being harsh on the people. Because he's telling them, you're the Jewish people. You're the people the oracles of God was given to. And you're rejecting me even when I quote. He sat there. This, one of his first things he did as a ministry was to read Isaiah 53 to the people. And you know what they did? They said, wow, we've never really heard anybody speak like that. That's interesting. Come back sometime. And they sent him on his way. They didn't care. They were more worried about their traditions, more worried about what each other thought than were to be worried about what God thought. So when we read John chapter 6, we're going to start in the 22nd verse, and we're going to read a little bit. As I want to do, I tend to uh, put a lot of scripture in because I want you to get familiar with the text, to see what the text says in its context. That It's easy for someone to just be like, Oh, well, God says he am. He is. He is what? Oh, he's the bread of life. That's in there somewhere in the sixth chapter. I want you to see the context of why. What the bread of life means. Why he's the bread of life. This is our first I am statement that we're really going to go over. Because this is not an absolute. This is a, this is a metaphor. A metaphor. God said, I am. So Jesus is the bread of life. In John 6, starting in the 22nd verse says, the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit, there came other boats from Tiberias, close, nine means close, under the place where they did eat bread. After that, the Lord had given thanks. When the people, therefore, <clears throat> excuse me, man, that power, that's that uh, energy drink I drank this morning. It's killing me. <clears throat> and when, uh, it says, and when the people, therefore, saw that Jesus was not there, neither was the disciples, they took also, took, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, Seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when came thou hither? Which, first of all, point that out. that They said Jesus was just standing on one side. The disciples got in the boat and went across. And then the people realized, wait a minute, Jesus isn't here. They went to the other side and he was already there ministering when they got there. So that's a miraculous event happening. 26 says, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him has God the Father sealed. 
28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do? What that we might work the works of God. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who he has sent. They said that's the only think about it, that's the only work. That's the only thing. Is it really a work to say, just believe? You're not being told to do anything. You're not being young. You're not even told to pray. I like to point that out because people, well, you have to pray for something. Okay, you have to pray and ask to be saved. It's a gift. When you go to your birthday party, somebody says, here, I got a gift for you. Do you have to then say, oh, Dell, thank you so much, Dill, for this gift. Thank you for giving me this gift. Would you please now hand me the gift so that I can have the gift that you're giving me free? Thank you, Dill, for giving me this gift. I believe you bought it for me and gave it to me. Now give it to me. And then he hands it to you? Or does he walk in here and say, hey, I got a gift for you? And gives it. Now you can refuse it. You can say, ah, no. No. But <laughs> you can at the same time, you, 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 can, you can reject it or you can accept it. There is no glory in accepting something you didn't work for. There's no glory in receiving something for free. There's no glory in getting something you don't deserve. We feel confidence. We feel a sense of accomplishment when we do something and we get a reward. This, we could do nothing and got the reward. So the glory, so the honor, so the greatness lies in the object of the faith, in the giver, not the receiver. Every good gift, the glory goes to the good giver, not the receiver. And in this case, it's God. So it is not a work for us to simply believe. And there's nothing called. They said, what do you believe? He said, believe the one God sent. That's it. That's all you have to do. What works do we have to do? Believe. 30 says, they said, therefore, unto him, what sign show you then that we may see and believe? What dost thou work. All the stuff he's done, he just fed him. 4,000 people with a couple loaves and a couple fishes. He said, believe the one they sent. And they said, well, what are you going to show us to make us believe? The food wasn't enough. The miracles wasn't enough. Healing the blind man wasn't enough. What are you going to show? They, they were not willing to believe no matter what. 30 says, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. See how he said, you follow me because your stomachs get full. That's why you're here. And what's the first thing they asked? What are you going to show us? You know, our fathers ate meat, ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. They eat. Still thinking with their stomachs. Still concerned with their stomachs. There is a reason why they say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. 
all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that comes to me, I will nowise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus the same son of Joseph, the fa whose father and mother we know? Is it then that he saith, I come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of Life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove, which means fought, among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, truth, truth, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have not life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinks my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Which is my favorite line in the entire Bible. This is a hardy line. It's saying, Who can even hear it? There are a lot of hard lines in the Bible. Who can hear it? Who wants to hear it? Who wants to hear this? Who can hear it? 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at him, he said unto them, Does this offend you? Think about, think about that. He was straightforward. Does this offend you? 62. What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? 
So he's saying, if you see me go to heaven, what does that do to you? 63. It is the spirit that quickens, makes alive. Quicken is alive. In the Hebrew mindset, you had two things. Lack of motion, death, quicken, being alive. Either one or the other. Either dead in your sin, you're alive in Christ. There's nothing else. It is only the spirit that quickens, that makes us alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore I said unto you that no man came unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that you are that Christ, the Son of the living God. Son of the living God. The very word of God. In the beginning was the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. The Word of God is the very essence of life itself. Its existence in and of itself. He looked at the twelve and said, Are you going to go too? And, they said, and Simon Peter said, where would we go? You have the words of life. Because he is the word of life. This terminology here, people like to get caught up again in what he's saying. You have to eat my body. You have to drink my blood. They there were saying that. And what he's, he keeps saying, he keeps repeating over and over again. Yes, you have, to do, you have to eat the flesh. You have to be filled with me to where that I am in you. I am completely in you. And only then can you be in me, meaning can you be a part of the resurrection. And the drinking of the blood, well, what, when you, you're thirst, you're thirsty, what keeps us alive? You can live for a long time without food. can't live without drink. The water, the everlasting water, the, that is, we are sustained by the blood of Christ. And he says, the words I speak are spirit. So he's saying, I'm speaking to you in a spiritual tone. That not that you literally have to eat my, my body, drink my blood. You're taking that as an offense because you want to. You're trying to find a reason not to believe. You're trying to find any reason not to believe. We have a lot of people like that. They want any reason not to believe. Any, the littlest of reasons not to believe. He told his very disciples, you are looking for a reason not to believe. And he gave them a reason. He gave them a hard sign that nobody wants to hear. But you have to be completely full of him. Completely and utterly full of him. There are three points that are made. That Jesus is the bread. Because Necessities include what? 
bread and water. A person can live a long time on just bread and water. Long time. Other things may be dispensed with. There are other things you don't need. It'd be nice to have some meat. It'd be nice to have this. You can literally live on bread. It's all you need. It's all we all need. It is the one thing that unites everybody. Young, old, weak, strong, rich, poor. They all need to be sustained by being filled with something that nourishes. And that is God. That is Jesus himself. Only Jesus can fill. Two, hunger is actually a sign of health. When someone's sick, lose their appetite. They don't want to eat. When you are healthy, you get a you have a desire to eat. When you like something, you have a desire for more of it. We are to des- desire more of Christ. And the more we get, the more we want to get. Charles Spurgeon once said, and this is Spurgeon is one of my favorite people to listen to. If anybody were to say to me, I have a man at home who stands in my hall and has stood there for years, but he has never eaten a mouthful of bread all that time, nor cost me a penny for food. I should say to him, oh yes, that is a bronze man. I know, I know that he either is a plaster casting or made of bronze. He has no life in him. I'm sure for if he had life in him, he would have needed bread. If we could live without eating, it would be a cheap method of existence. But I have never found out in all my trying whether you can succeed without bread. And I am not looking forward to finding out whether you can live without bread. So far that you can live, can you really live without Christ? For Christ is the bread of life. If you can live without him and your every day, I fear that you are not God's people, for they all hunger and thirst after Jesus. Why? Because he is the bread that comes down from heaven. Mm-hmm. Jesus is life. If you have life in you, then you need that bread. If you don't need that bread, you're dead. You're dead, man. You're, there's no, no nothing. But we are bought with a price. We are bought with a price by Christ. We desire, we should all desire to be filled by him every day. Our third point is where Jesus is received, he is satisfying. If you're willing to receive it, he's satisfying. The heart truly hungers, but it hungers for happiness. It hungers for fullness. It hungers for purpose, for reason. It hungers for the true bread of life, which is only Jesus. He's the only thing. Without it, we can have everything in the world and we'll be unhappy. And we are unhappy beings. Just as someone who doesn't eat, look, watch him sometime when somebody's late for for dinner and how their mood changes. If you don't need Christ, if you neglect Christ, even if you're saved and you're neglecting Christ, your mood will change. You can see it in people. 
when they are far from God. You can see it. And so what is the solution? It's salvation. And there are only two conditions for salvation that he spoke of in there. There are two conditions, and he said them both. The first one is a divine condition. The Holy Spirit must convict you, must enlighten you to the fact that there is another way, and then draws you to it. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Not ours. Nothing we can do. I could have all the greatest words in the world. doesn't mean anything. If the Holy Spirit's not in it, if the Holy Spirit is not drawing, it means nothing. That's God's work. Not mine. Not yours. And then there is the human condition. And that is simply that man must come of his own free will. You cannot force it. You cannot do it by threat of, of gun. You, it must be free will. And even in God's case, like I said, you, he gives you the gift. Are you going to accept it? It has to be free will. So those are our two conditions. And those are what we are supposed to do with this sort of information. Is understand that no matter what we do, it's not our job to get people saved. It is our job to be full of Jesus Christ. It is our job to eat and partake of him daily so that we can be full to the point that what comes out? Well, what comes out is what you put in. What comes out? Jesus. Why? Because that's how the spirit will work. That's how the spirit will move. That will help speed along that first condition, which is the working of the spirit. We can't do it. It's not up to us to get someone saved. But it is up to us to try and to want and to be hungry for Jesus, to be filled with Jesus. If you're not filled with Jesus every day, that's something you can fix. That's something you can fix. Every one of us can fix that. And we're to desire that. We are to desire whatever you're feeling lonely or you're feeling an emptiness. It's because I guarantee you, if you filled it with Jesus, you'd be fine. Yeah. You would be fine. There's no loneliness when Jesus is there. It doesn't exist. And so we are to take this metaphor as what it is, that spiritually he is the bread of life. And without him, we are dead. Even if we're saved, our walk, our ministry, our persons, we're dead. We must be full of him at all times. Desire the good nourishment of the bread of life. May we all desire Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we come together in your house to read from your scriptures that just speak life to us, that speak truth to us, that no matter what we're going through, who we are, where we are, what point in life we are we know that you never change you were there from the beginning you'll be there forever we can always rely on you that you are the great i am you exist and that we can be full of you pray for these people that as we go we can continue to hunger and to thirst for you more and more every day and that we can never get enough of what you give May you continue to bless us mightily. May you continue to give your mercies new every day. We ask for all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.